GM, I feel like shit, but I banked yesterday, so we have to do the show. I suffer from a debilitating condition known as atropic shockitis. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. If I just go the other way in that 66, I win all the money. All the money. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Process over results. Hey everyone. GM, 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 how we doing? I really wanted to call in sick to my own show. And I said, no, the show must go on. The show must go on. Can you hear how shitty I sound right now? People were so upset on the tilt space. They said, Peter, raise your energy levels. Peter, get drunk. Like I'm just some puppet entertainer for you to use for your own enjoyment with no care whatsoever about how I'm feeling. But I know you guys won't do that to me. This is a nice, chill morning show. I can stay calm. I've already had some tea. GM everyone. Thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Means a lot. It was a good day for a lot of people in the deposit kingdom. Got to give a quick shout out to Jay Fresh. Jay Fresh took down the baller on Yahoo for 100k. Fresh picks. Shout out to Jay Fresh. I'll pull up that lineup actually real quick. Jay Fresh and uh, smart people uh, grind over on Yahoo. Uh, they, I believe, no rake in that contest. Yeah, 200K overlay. Just an absolute monster score for Jay Fresh. Got to meet him out in Vegas this year for ship chasing. He's in the Run the Sims channel as well in the Deposit Kingdom Discord. Uh, round of applause to Jay Fresh there. Yeah, Nez commenting on the uh, the unreal move with the Chargers defense. It was a day for that, right? I mean, we saw, you know, the Colts boat race, the Texans, no bring back needed, the Rams boat race, the Jags, no bring back needed. I mean, it's been the year of the no bring back. Uh, some of these teams putting up monster totals, you can get away with no bring back, can get away with the defense in those matchups. And I actually, I think intuitively, it it still makes sense to me, right? Because you want defenses where turnovers are going to be possible and where are turnovers possible and high scoring back and forth games. Joe Burrow has shown himself to be very turnover prone. So a game like that, that could go sideways with a quarterback that has a propensity for turnovers. I think it, I think it makes, it checks out. Oh, that also helps. I did see you say that in the chat. Uh, this is Jay Fresh here, uh, that they were mid-price. And didn't you say that you ran them in every single one of your lineups? Um, that would also explain how you would end up with them on, on that team as well. You did need an Atlanta bring back. You needed uh, Mike Davis. Just kidding. I will pull up your lineup here as well. This was so funny. So, board Big Bear here, uh, Deverhart in the chat. He took down the contest that I supposedly binked. 
he took down the 75 uh, single entry contest. And I I know Board Big Bear from Twitter. I didn't recognize his DraftKings handle. This was the lineup I was trying to chase down all afternoon. The lineup we were sweating on the tilt space. Um, just a really nice team here. Uh, almost kind of like a um a team that you would expect to see in the Thunderdome, where it's almost a cash game team with just a little bit of a tournament ethos to it. I mean, you have the chalk stack, you have the chalk punt in Parker, you have, you know, two of the chalkiest running backs in Gibson and Michelle, but you nail the stack and then you nail, you know, the one-off high ceiling wide receiver in Justin Jefferson and even the chalk defense here. And it was funny because uh, I noticed after the fact, Board Big Bear (laughs) DM'd me asking me what he thought about not swapping off of uh, Michelle in this lineup. Uh, clearly you made the right move to, uh, to stay Pat. I'm glad I didn't, uh, respond and give you any advice to the contrary of that, but very nice team. And this was a 757 person contest. I can pull up my lineup. You guys saw it on, on the tilt space last night. Um, I finished fourth in this one. I, I thought I had some chances here. Ultimately Claypool just couldn't quite get there. I mean, George Kittle did absolutely everything he could to get me there. And this was a team that I did end up swapping off of. Uh, I, I looked up and I saw Deverhart's lineup there and I knew I was dead for first. I knew if I kept Sony Michelle, I mean, I guess, I guess I could have had my Terry McLaurin went, went nuclear, but I needed two cracks at it knowing that there was a lot of Michelle and a lot of Gibson up there and just couldn't roll out one player that was blocked. So I did make the swap. I'm trying to pull up my spreadsheet here so I can see what I initially had in this lineup. Give me one sec. I'm struggling this morning. I'm struggling. I need to get some more coffee too. But yeah, like we said on the show's Yesterday morning, I I did preload all of my lineups with Sony Michelle, and then I promptly pivoted off of him in all of my contests. So in this one, I initially had Terry McLaurin, Sony Michelle, and 49ers defense. And once I knew that I didn't have a shot for first, if I let that ride, I did pivot it to George Kittle, Chase Claypool, and Steelers defense. And I talked about it a little bit with Leone and this is something I've learned from him too, that when you are coming from behind and making those swaps, you really want to make sure you're giving yourself a crack at, at two guys that have a legit ceiling. You know, I think the flip side would be like, you know, say, say you pivoted uh, or you got up to, I'm trying to think, I don't even know if I can come up with the perfect example for it, but let, let's just say Tara McLaurin was more money. He was like 8,000. You did him and James O'Shaughnessy as your, as your pivot. And it's like, yeah, O'Shaughnessy, he could get there, but he doesn't have access to a 40 point ceiling. Uh, and so that's why I, I middled it there as far as kind of a, from a salary range. Uh, I guess getting up to Cooper cup would be the example. You get up to Cooper cup and like a true, true punt. And obviously cup has a ceiling, but does the pump play have it? So with George Kittle and Claypool, I thought I was giving myself access to two guys that had 30 plus point ceilings. If things broke, right. It, that's exactly what happened for Kittle. It gave me a chance uh, 
to to have a ch- shot at first, which is which is what we're always trying to do in these tournaments. Um, but yeah, shout out to uh, Dever Hart, Big Bear here with a, a really nice team. Uh, let me get some more coffee. I saw someone, I want to say it was in the Tilt Space comments, who was like, explain yourself about this team. Um, they thought it was a weird team. I don't know if that was because of the late swap or if they thought the Minshew skinny was was weird. I guess I don't really know what would be weird about this team. The The thesis of it for me was we were talking about it on the show and people were worried yesterday that Devonta Smith might get steamed if everyone was playing Minshew. Um, I felt with the way the slate dynamics were shaking out at tight end with Gronk and Moreau garnering so much ownership that Goddard might not come in too high. I was honestly expecting around 10%. Um, so 5% here, I was very, very happy to see, uh, to see him come in at this. And then Obviously, I didn't do a bring back here. I, I didn't feel comfortable with the Jets. I know in the Thunderdome, Andrew Wiggins brought back his Minshew to Goddard with Elijah Moore, which I think was really sharp. Um, but to me, this was it, this was actually one of the last lineups I made, and we'll look at a couple of my other lineups. But I I realized after building, I didn't have any Jonathan Taylor and I didn't have any Justin Jefferson because I had been running kind of Burrow and... Justin Herbert stacks and it's hard to fit those kind of one-off high-end plays in those constructions. So I said, all right, this is the perfect spot for a Minshew lineup. And so this lineup basically started with Minshew to Goddard, Jonathan Taylor, and Justin Jefferson. Um, I knew I was then going to need a punt play. Uh, so I thought, uh, let's do Josh Reynolds in this one. Don't love him coming in at 17%, but I think that was about what was expected. At least if I'm punting it off, I wanted a little correlation there. And then Connor, you guys heard me talk about it yesterday. He was one of my other favorite running back plays. I think on another more normal slate, he's probably 25, 30%. But because there was so much steam on Gibson, on Michelle, uh, even on Madison, um, I really liked him at this price point and very happy to get him at 12.6%. And then that was that was the lineup because then I had Terry McLaurin, Sony Michelle, and in, in Steelers going late. McLaurin, he was my cover boy for the show yesterday. And the, the irony about loving the McLaurin play is I didn't end up with any of him. He, he was in, uh, I think three of like my five lineups, but because I had to do all the pivots off of Michelle, I ended up with no Terry McLaurin, which worked out from a results standpoint, but, uh, I was still pretty happy, uh, to play Terry McLaurin. I just needed to get access to two ceiling guys off of the Sony Michelle chalk. So didn't end up with that, but that's that's how it goes. You know, we were talking yesterday morning too. Someone saying, "I'm fading Sony Michelle." It's like, well, you don't know if you need to fade Sony Michelle yet. Uh, it's it. That's the beauty of the late swap is you have three hours to find out if Sony Michelle is a good play for your lineups or not. And I was able to decide here that Sony Michelle, if I wanted access to first place, was not a good play for my lineups. Casey, I told you guys, I'm sick. I'm battling through the elements. And you're got you're gonna give me shit for my coffee pour this morning. I'm not operating on peak efficiency, guys. Yeah, I did I did toss this into the ETR me. God, I hate that pun. I love you, Stephen, but ETR me, you're killing me. Um, 
I did toss it into that one, but uh, got second, got second there. I needed a, I needed another Chase Claypool bomb there, but Deontay Johnson was hogging them all. Um, let's see here. Uh, Nez says it was simply a play the best plays kind of week. Yeah, kind of. It was, it was also just a high scoring week in general. Please don't be the guy that says, oh my goodness. Why didn't I win a tournament? I scored so many points. Everyone scored a fucking ton of points yesterday. Reese says, great lineup, Pete. Do you have any thoughts on picking which of your lineups to enter into each contest? I make three teams each week and I play small field. Yeah. So I actually have, someone asked me this, I think maybe three or four weeks ago. And I have a concrete process now. So I, in my spreadsheet, I type in my lineups and I look at, I have both cumulative own and product ownership. Um, and I scale my lineup. So yesterday I played in, I played in the big spy that had 4,000 people in it. I played in the 150k spy that had 1600 people in it. I played in the 20k spy that only had 222 people in it. And then I also played in this $75 single entry that had 757. So kind of tiered, right? 4,000, 2,000, 700, 222. And the more cumulative and product ownership my lineup had, basically the chalkier it was, the smaller contest I put it in. And so I'm gonna, I'll show you guys a, a Tom Brady lineup that I had. And then I just go up from that. The more contrarian my lineup is based on cumulative and product ownership. And I just like looking at both just to give me a feel because sometimes a lineup will have high cumulative ownership, but the product ownership will be pretty low because there's one super low owned play in there. And so then I won't worry about it as much. But just looking at those two factors and whichever one I think is the, the most chalky, I'll put that one in the smallest field contest. So in the Deposit Kingdom League, I ran my lineup that I had tossed in the 200-person spy, which is a, a chalkier lineup than I'm used to running. Um, I can pull this one up here. This is uh, a Tom Brady stack that I brought back with um, Pittman, and I was actually super stoked with how this shook out because I thought I knew Gronk and Brady were going to be popular. I knew that, but I thought Evans would come in much, much lower than Godwin. And I thought Pittman would be pretty unique um, relative to the Jonathan Taylor ownership. I thought Jonathan Taylor was going to catch a decent amount with everyone using Sony Michelle to get up to him. And so I thought Pittman, um, Sorry, and this isn't a bring back. This is just a, another play in this lineup. So I thought I thought that would give me some leverage. And then Madison and Connor were two of my candidates I thought could get squeezed. And uh, I did end up having to do a pivot. This was another, I believe, McLaurin, Sony Michelle team. I need to check my spreadsheet again. I already X out of it. Shit. Um, I think this was a McLaurin, Sony Michelle team that I did do um, have to pivot to O'Shaughnessy here to make this work. I didn't have enough money on this one to get to the two mid-tier wide receivers, the Chase Claypool types. So I did have to, to eat the punt here when I was behind. But the point I'm making here is uh, I, because I knew this was going to be one of my chalkier stacks, I, I put it in the 200-person contest. I would not have ran this lineup in the big spy with, with 4,000 people. But in a 200-person contest, I knew with just a couple other pivots – that I would be able to to still be unique and give myself uh, a chance to win. 
How much did Lord Minshew bink for you? Uh, $12.50. I actually tied. Uh, I tied for fourth, which was a bummer. It was uh, a non-dupe dupe. The guy duped my score. He didn't dupe my team, but he duped my score. Let me pull it up. Yeah, so twelve fifty. Uh, Big Bear won five uh, k for first. I was in first for a second. Definitely stings. Uh, you know, even on a, a flat payout structure like this, you know, when you when you're moving up and down from second to third to fourth, you know, those are those are big swings there. So ended up having to chop uh, that fourth place prize there, which isn't too fun. T-Tid says, I feel like I spread myself too thin and it's hard to decide what the best core is. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I said this yesterday. I was I was really paralyzed at running back because there were so many good plays and then it was simply, okay, there's so many good plays. Some of these guys are going to come in pretty low owned relative to their projections. Who is going to get squeezed? That was the big question. And so, you know, we were making guesses yesterday. Some of those guesses were correct. James Conner and Leonard Fournette definitely got squeezed. Some of those guesses were wrong. I mean, Alexander Madison was way more popular in my contest than I thought he was going to be. We were also wrong. This was the one lineup where I played Jonathan Taylor just because I wanted a share of him. I know Leone ended up not playing Taylor because he thought he could be up in the 35 to 40% range in small field, which which I agreed with too. It was one of those weird things because my first thought with the Sony Michelle was, all right, people are going to use Sony to pair him with Jonathan Taylor, and then they'll pick their favorite between Gibson, Mitchell, Jamal Williams as their third running back. But that ended up not necessarily being the case. Um, you know, 25% is actually pretty in check. And I talked about it on the tilt space last night, but you looked at, you know, Leone's ceiling projections for Jonathan Taylor, he he separated from the other running backs. I think his the next closest ceiling projection wasn't within seven points or was within seven points, but a pretty big spread there. <laughs> Silas says, crazy that Pete finally goes down to small field stuff and nearly binks immediately like an influencer. I mean, let's, let's check out the score. So I had a 207.18. So in the big spy here, and we can look at this, line up here in the big spy with 4,000 207. What was it? 207.18. So I finish, I finish in 26th in this contest for $700. And that is really, that's the exact, uh, you know, advertisement for playing these smaller field stuff, exact same lineup, a contest with 4,000 people. You win 700, a contest, with 757 people, I was I was legit live for first. And it, it it has been a legitimate leak in my game. It is so hard. Well, I like like clicking register for this spy contest with only 222 people in it, with only 3,000 up top. I say only, but that's just how my brain has been broken by the big top heavy first place prizes. I want, I want the 50,000, I want the 25,000. But man, uh, when you kind of slap yourself a little bit and say, actually, the main goal is just to be profitable, um, and I'm getting better at it, getting in the 222, getting in the 757 person, and it's funner, right? 
I get to put Bink on the thumbnail way more often if I'm playing these size contests instead of, you know, the 10,000 person contest. So um, there's also a really good message in the Deposit Kingdom Discord and the Run the Sims channel. I think I even pinned it from last week. It was, I think, after last week's slate and a few of us were feeling pretty down about uh, results and just the season not necessarily going exactly how we wanted. Um, and Justin had some really good words of advice and and also kind of fleshed out this idea of why playing these smaller contests are are so important. And and you know you can um you can extrapolate it too. We've had this conversation on Lulz with Brian, where you could you could have an advantage in the Millie Maker, and you could you would need to max it out for like three lifetimes over the entire season to ever even realize that edge. And the smaller the contest you play, the easier and quicker it is for you to realize your edge. So I do think that's such a good piece of advice. If you're, if you're not happy with your ROI right now, but you're confident in the lineups you're building and in your process, lever down, lever down into those smaller contests. And, and then you can, and then you can kind of scale accordingly. And the other thing I did too, um, and this is the other thing we always talk about with Holka, you know, you, he, Holka always wants to get paid off when, when you do have that good lineup. And I've been using all of the rake free listener leagues to toss in all of my main four or five lineups. So I've been putting it in the Pat Mayo league. That's a three max DK. I've been putting it in the Smiz. That's a, a three max rake free, obviously the deposit kingdom. And, um, and then the ETR me, Ugh, that pun, uh, the ETR me contest. Um, that's where I got second. So that, that allowed me to, to get paid off a little bit more. I think that was another $700 for second. Maybe I think I got to look it up, but so, yeah, so contest selection, layering it into some of these other cheaper rake free contests and, and getting paid off. When you have a solid lineup. Um, thank you for the $10, sir. You didn't have to do that. I appreciate you. I will uh, I will build a showdown lineup tonight in your honor. My best lineup scored 205 and I kept Mitchell in instead of swapping to Kittle. Even when it's RB in the flex week, it's not RB in the flex week. Yeah, I mean, I was joking on the tilt space last night saying, you know, all the slappies should have swapped, but for the most part, unless you're, unless you're big bear here, who was literally sitting in first, like you totally let Gibson and Sony Michelle ride. You have the blockers, you are the blockers, but if your goal is to get first, um, you know, you can generally see, you see here, we can see how much cap space left these teams have. You can pretty quickly deduce, Hey, the guys in the top five have Sony, they have Gibson. And you're basically waving the white flag for first if you're not swapping. And with how top-heavy these prize pools are, I do really think most people should have been swapping off of Gibson, Mitchell, and Michelle yesterday if they wanted to give themselves a chance at first. Now, some people have different goals. For some people, you know, uh, the min cash or, or finishing in the top 10, that is is you know, what they want to accomplish. And that's fine. But I do think it, we get a little overconfident in our ability to even min cash to finish top 10. 
not realizing how much we have to actually overcome. And that doesn't even account for the teams that are charging behind us. So um, I definitely think erring on the side of being aggressive with your swaps, not dumb, but aggressive makes sense. And again, that goes back to what I like to do and double check in my spreadsheet when I'm making these swaps is I like to make sure that I'm not sacrificing, you know, too many projected points on a swap, right? And I know when I put in Kittle and Claypool that, yes, I'm, I'm sacrificing median projected points, no doubt. I mean, Sony Michelle projected awesome. But from a pure ceiling perspective, I, I know that it's there. So, and I that's the beauty when we also have multiple really good late games. There were tons of options. You know, no one was playing the Seattle wide receivers. McLaurin was low owned. Marquise Brown was low owned. You could pivot to Josh Jacobs. No one was playing him. Like there were a ton of good options where it wasn't even necessarily fully waving the white flag. It's just, you're shifting a few points. I guess in, in Sony's case, it was a decent amount of projected points, but I, I guess the point I'm making is I don't think you were sacrificing that much ceiling and you were gaining so, so much in, uh, projected ownership. I appreciate the, uh, the kind words guys. Uh, it's fun to kind of talk things out here and, uh, and see what's going on, see what we can learn from the slates here. I'll try to catch up on the chat and I will, uh, and then I will take a look at some other lineups. Silas says, have you thought about playing higher stakes, but less contests? So the, the only, there's two things. One, I do, um, because I have the tilt space action too, um, that kind of scratches that itch for me. Obviously we, you know, Holka, Leone, and I each have a third of that action and we're normally, you know, we have somewhere between, I don't know, two to $3,000 in lineups, depending on the slate or how we're doing. So, um, when you add that up with my other play, I'm about comfortable with how much I spend, but to your point, like, would I want to, um, you know, go down and play what one, one lineup in the juke, maybe I think is what you're saying, like a $400 entry instead of my, you know, five to 600. The problem is, is I do legitimately like building a couple teams. Um, and I think I also have a sentimental attachment to the spy just because I've been doing that for the bankroll challenge now for three years. And I really want to win the spy. Um, and I, I, I like being in that contest too, because I feel like a, a majority of the audience and people who watch this stuff are, are playing those contests too, the $50, the 75 and the hundred dollar single entries. So I like being really uh, familiar with those streets. And I feel like that's probably where the Venn diagram of all the contests we collectively play probably overlaps the most. So yeah, a combination of a few factors. Um, I've said it before, like if I was doing everything GTO, like I wouldn't even be playing on DraftKings. I'd be over on Yahoo like JFresh was, you know, I would be playing, like you said, 100 mans, 200 mans. Like if my only goal was to eke out an ROI, but that isn't, that isn't my only goal. I have different goals like winning the spy. Yeah, so I've talked about this a lot on the showdown shows because the Run the Sims uh, tools, and I can actually, I don't know if we have the showdown slate up, but basically cumulative ownership is adding up the total ownership in your lineup. So a good example would be uh, 
let's just say Tom Brady is 20% and Mike Evans is uh, 20%. So the cumulative ownership of that would be 40 uh, points. So you just add it all up. The problem with cumulative ownership is if, let's say, Gardner Minshew was 38% and Dallas Goddard was 2%, that also has the exact same cumulative ownership, right, of 40 points. But that lineup is going to be far more unique than the Brady uh, Evans example because there's going to be way more teams that have that that combo than a 2% owned Dallas Goddard in that hypothetical. So product owned multiplies the um, the ownerships together and gives you a more true number for how uh, unique those lineups were going to be. And one of the things I love about the simulator on Run the Sims is we have product ownership in there. So when you run the Sims on here and you get your custom lineups, uh, we don't have ownership in, so this was a bad example yet, but when ownership gets uploaded into the site, you can see here we have the sum, which is the cumulative, and then we'll have the product. And I like looking at both um, just as like a second check, um, but for the most part, I think product own is far, far more valuable. But like if you're using optimizers and there's some optimizers, there's actually a bunch of optimizers that will let you um, limit. And I've heard, I've heard Dink talk about this. Like, all right, uh, I want to have a max of 100 cumulative ownership points in my lineup. And then you run that. Now, the thing you have to really be careful about when you're doing stuff like that is it's all slate specific, right? So the other part of what I like to do when people are asking me, how do you know which lineups you toss in? I like to run the optimal and I like to see the cumulative and product own for the optimal for that week. And because that gives me a really good um, baseline for knowing how many projected points I'm potentially giving up. You know, if the optimal has 200 in 30 ceiling points. I don't want to be running out lineups that have 160 ceiling points. Like I'm just giving up way too much projection, even if I'm gaining a lot of, you know, projected ownership in my direction. And so the same thing there with adding up the cumulative, I like seeing, all right, this, uh, and I can, let me get my spreadsheet up here. Um, just so I can see on the side, and I'm sorry, guys, my my brain is slow this morning. I'm, I know I'm being rambly and not getting to the point as quickly as I do. I apologize. Um, I will get to this point eventually. Um, so the optimal this week had 232 ceiling projection points. And this, uh, this is using, uh, I like using ETRs projections so I can get that ceiling score. And it had a cumulative ownership of 202. The lineups I was building, that Minshew lineup I built had 212 ceiling points. So I was sacrificing 20 ceiling points and it had a, a cumulative ownership of 117. So I was only sacrificing 20 ceiling projection points, but I was gaining what's 202 minus 117, 85 cumulative percentage ownership percentage points less. And that's almost like the exact kind of trade-off I'm trying to make. Like I'm willing to sacrifice 20 to 30 
ceiling projection for that big of an ownership discount relative to the optimal. Hopefully that helps. But it's kind of my way of making sure that I do have a numbers-backed process for making these decisions. And then to kind of circle back to it, the uh, the product own is just then a double check on that. But a lot of optimizers and a lot of sites won't give that to you. So I, I do think for a quick and dirty method, cumulative is is still very solid and can point you in the right direction. I just think product is a little bit helpful overall. GM Davis, imagine not playing 100% Kittle after he was touted on the only first look show in the industry. That's right. That's right. We ran him. I, I kind of want to pull up our swole cast lineup that we did on DraftKings because it did cash. It did absolutely cash. Free roll cash here. Shout out to the 10K MVP challenge prevented, uh, presented by Visa. We built this lineup on a fucking Wednesday. Justin Herbert to Mike Williams. Jamar Chase bring back. DK Metcalf, George Kittle. Eight the Moreau chalk. I mean, <laughs> Colts defense. We got up to Colts defense. You love to see it. You love to see it. One dollar. This is how you build a bankroll. Step one, watch the swole cast. Dupe the DraftKings lineup. Step two, toss it in the 10K MVP challenge prevent, presented by Visa. That's how you do it. Easy game. I did see this. Whistles won another million. I think we saw you had 98 lineups in the 555. You want to talk about contest selection? My God. The bankroll you have to have to toss 98 lineups into an incredibly top-heavy, essentially winner-take-all contest at $555 a pop. Woo! Woo! That was I'm sick, but still attempting to do the woo-woo. Why not try the Power Sweep 3 Max? So that is uh, a much bigger contest. That's the same size as the the spy. Um, we tossed our tilt space lineups into the power sweep. I think it was around 4,500 entries yesterday, but that's in a different size category than what I'm talking about as far as getting into smaller field stuff. And like I said, I, I think the power sweep is super fun. I think it's a super fun contest, similar to the 400 K spy, you know, that has a hundred K up top. Like that's super fun. I mean, those are the contests that get the juices flowing. But it's against the point that I'm trying to make of if you want to realize your ROI in a contest, it's going to take you far, far longer to do it in the power sweep or the spy. And that's the trade-off you make to have the super big prizes. How long before lock do you make your final roster decisions? Yeah, so I, um, I think I was done. I've had weeks where I'm, I'm literally getting my lineups loaded like with a couple minutes to spare which is definitely not where i want to be because that's stressful but for the most part i do the i do the show from like 10 30 to around 11 30 is when i think it wrapped up i quickly finish the newsletter because i got to see which inactives came in i add those to the newsletter i ship that off 
I have about five to 10 minutes to start building. And then we hop on a tilt space call at around noon generally. And we generally will build our lineups from like 12 to 1220. We're normally pretty quick. We're building about two to three DraftKings lineups. And that's a very valuable time for me because I have my ideas. Leone has his, Holka has his. We kind of mash together the ideas we like into logical lineups. And then I have about 30 to 40 minutes then to finalize mine. And so by that point, I basically have kind of all the ideas and the takes and the directions I want in my head. And then I'm just putting the puzzle pieces together and I'm building those in my spreadsheet because I want to check some of those things I was talking about with the product own, the cumulative own, make sure I'm not sacrificing too many points. And then once I have those in my spreadsheet, I open up all of my contests, my four or five contests, and I sort them in the tab order by how big they are. And then I go, all right, what is my most chalky lineup? This is going to go in the 200 person and the deposit kingdom because that's 400. What's the next? All right, this is going to go in the 757. And then I just wrap it up. But I think to answer your question, I am, I'm trying to be as unanchored to stuff um, as much as I can, because a lot of this stuff, I, I want to view it through a fresh lens. And I've noticed even when I update all my stuff on like a Saturday evening or a Sunday early morning, it's so hard for me not to get anchored to that when I, I know I need to update stuff after inactives come out. And some slates, there aren't things that are impacted and you could have gotten away with it, right? You could have gotten away with building earlier because nothing much changed. But then there's a lot of slates where that's not the case. And so I've found that I try to basically do this. Um, I think of it like I get men in blacked after every single time I review the slate, where it's like I do the, I do the Mayo first look show. I'm going to record that in a couple hours. And I do that on a Monday. And I look at all the salaries and stuff and I ship that off and then I zap myself, forget the slate. Then we go to do the Swolecast on Wednesday. All right, I, I need to have some takes. I'm going to upload my stuff, see who looks good, run some optimals, see what the slate looks like. Do that show, zap, forget it. And everyone should do that, to be honest. You know, then I'm going into my Friday GPP show with a guest. Let's update all my stuff again. Let's see what's popping now. Which injury stuff has changed since Wednesday? Do the show. Men in black, zap, gone. That slate is now gone. And this is the whole kind of wrestling thing with content, right? Like people want content throughout the week. Um, but it's it's really, really hard to, and that's why I try to focus a lot of my stuff on evergreen stuff. Like what are the lessons and things we can apply to future slates? Because that's the most valuable because really where, you know, where, where the bread is buttered in DFS is from 1130 AM Eastern to lock. And from 3.45 p.m. Eastern to the 4.25 lock, because that's when you're making your, your big late swap decisions. So it's a, it's a fine balance of being familiar with the slate, being familiar with what's possible, trying to get a read on what the field is doing. That's super valuable. That's honestly one of the fun parts, too, about listening, consuming content, and making content. You guys saw yesterday I did that informal poll. What running backs are you guys playing? That that legitimately gave me a finger on the pulse. I didn't see as many James Connors as I did Eli Mitchell's yesterday. I felt pretty confident just from my informal Twitter poll um, that that's how that was going to shake out. So again, there is so much value to staying top on top of things. 
And I think it also makes you more nimble. Um, and it helps you also kind of identify, all right, Sony Michelle opens up. I know that people are going to want to get up to a JT or Cooper Cup, or that's going to be way more viable now. And that was one of my big takeaways from yesterday too, was the high-end wide receivers. It really felt like things were condensing big time around Godwin and Cup up on the high end. And everyone was using those cheap running backs to get up to those two guys and knowing as long as you weren't eating kind of the Godwin in the cup. And obviously those guys smash. I'm just talking about from a process standpoint, like there were a lot of those high ceiling wide receivers who are going to be pretty contrarian, including guys like Keenan who again on different slates might've been more chalky. Sorry guys, I'm behind on the chat. I want to look at some more lineups, including the deposit kingdom here. The clickbait thumbnail got you. That's what we do around here, buddy. I can't wait. There are going to be there are going to be some comments so triggered, so unbelievably triggered that I put Bink for my fourth place finish. Actually, let's call it a second place finish. I'm going to battle the commenters. I'm going to say, well, actually, I finished second in the ET Army contest, sir. That's basically a Bink. Wow, using us for an edge. This is why I'm looking forward to the Evil Empire. Unfortunately for you, it seems like the Evil Empire can't get off the ground. Lots of great ideas. No execution. Crack open a beer. Yeah, right. Yeah, fucking right. I use aggregated ownership because I like to uh, get a feel from multiple sets. So I check in on the run the Sims ownership. I check in on ETR's ownership. I check in, in on Osimo's ownership. Um, and I like aggregating a few different sources um, to try to get a, a feel of what, what the field is going to do. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm getting there. I, I'm getting there. I am. I'm a tortoise today. I'm not firing on all cylinders. My brain feels foggy. I'm not, I don't have my normal process. We are going to review the deposit kingdom. I, I'm not, I'm not like going into my spreadsheet in chip. Sorry, Michael Dubner asked, do you manually adjust ownership for small fields? See, I got to remember, some people are listening to the audio version of this. Um, I don't actually go and change the numbers, but when I am making some of those gut calls, especially on late swaps, I am, I'm adding a Steam premium in. So even if I see, what did I finish with? Sony Michelle uh, projected ownership. What did he come in at in my stuff? He was at like 30%. And I was like, I, I think this, this feels like a 40 to 45% in small field. Same with the Foster Moreau. He was projecting for 35%. In my head, I'm like, this is a 40 to 50%. So I am adding, basically for the very best plays, 
I'm adding a, a steam booster in my head when I look at those. It's another reason why I like looking at a few different projection sources. You know, I think ETR does a really good job of accounting for some of that industry steam with some some smart manual adjustments. Osmos is very uh, math driven and I think is really reflective of how Opto Bros are going to be playing. And so I like having a few different styles like that. But yeah, you certainly, if you're playing in these contests, I mean, basically from the spy down, even the power sweep, like anything under 5K, like those best plays are are going to get more ownership than they are in the large field. See, I keep trying to get to the deposit kingdom, but you guys keep asking interesting questions. Can you elaborate on your process for late swaps? Do you have specific pivots in mind for each lineup if certain chalk is busting, crushing, and vice versa? So I will admit uh, something that I probably shouldn't admit, which is I hadn't even backed out late swap options yesterday. Like a specific late swap options, I should say. Like I joked, I, I knew that you could pivot Sony Michelle to LaVisca, but because there were so many games and so many plays, I knew that if I had two to three guys going, which I did in the most case, you know, Sony Michelle with Terry and then a defense, I knew that I would have a ton of options just because there was so much with the Seattle game, with with Kittle, um, with McLaurin, with Jacobs. I knew there were a ton of options with Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, that I felt comfortable just being like, all right, I have a lot to do. I know I can figure out these late swaps later. I would not advise that. If I wasn't as busy, if I had more time, I would plan those out. Now, that said, I... Um, what I then do when we get to 3 p.m. is I start plugging in and looking at the potential 3v3s. So I can tell you, you know, right now, I was looking at, okay, Terry McLaurin and Sony Michelle. That was in my lineup. I was seeing a cumulative ownership of around 30 points. Their ceiling projection was 54. So 54 ceiling, 30 cumulative. Then I type in Chase Claypool and George Kittle. Ceiling of 41. So I'm sacrificing 13, but a cumulative ownership of 10. So I'm sitting there thinking I'm sacrificing 13 ceiling points, which is just what I'm going to have to do because Sony projects so well, but I'm lopping off 20 percentage points of ownership. So those are the kind of combos I'm fiddling around with and trying to see how can I remove as much ownership from my lineup as possible without sacrificing too much ceiling. So that's when I'm starting to fiddle with all those combos. And that was how another one in that other lineup you saw where I had the Marquise Brown, James O'Shaughnessy, Washington football team. That had the exact same. That was a direct swap off of LaVisca, Sony, and Steelers. That was another one. I lost 12 points of ceiling, but I cut my ownership over half. So this is why it's very helpful for me. I do really think late swaps and stuff like that, either you plan them out ahead of time or you have a numbers-backed process to double-check like, hey, I actually am gaining stuff. You don't want to just be shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. Oh, I'm going to you know switch 
Antonio Gibson to Eli Mitchell, just so it feels like I'm doing something. Well, no, I mean, Eli Mitchell is going to be super popular. You have to um, really make sure that you're accomplishing what you're trying to do, which is giving yourself a chance to win. So I, I personally am not smart enough to do that without numbers. I like literally being able to stare at the, the ceiling projection of those swaps. It just helps me out. I am going to look at the, uh, the contest. How do you join the ET army tournament? And I came in third in your small deposit kingdom rake free. Thanks for even having one. Of course. Yes. Uh, I believe you have just need to be in the ETR discord for that one for the, uh, Pat Mayo for Holka's on FanDuel for mine. Uh, Justin Freeman, uh, normally puts a post out in the run the Sims. And then I pin that in the deposit kingdom. So generally you have easy access to those three. You can find Smizzes in any of his videos. You basically just need to make a little reminder, a little to-do list for these, and then just go around on a Wednesday and register for all those contests. I'll do the recap once more. Smiz, three max, Pat Mayo, three max, ETR, three max, Holka, FanDuel, deposit kingdom, single entry. Those are the five I know of. Rake free, good contests. All right, let's look at the um, let's look at the Deposit Kingdom tournament. I am dilly dallying. I need to go blow my nose too. All right, let's see here. Um, Jay Bones, shout out to Jay Bones here. Takes this down, 207.72. We have the Tom Brady to Godwin. No no other uh, secondary stack option here. This is a um, pretty chalky lineup here, but you hit the Justin Jefferson, you hit the Godwin, and... I, I think totally well within uh within reason of kind of standing pat on Mitchell, on Gibson, on Michelle, on Moreau, and Deontay Johnson. It's kind of hard. This one would have been a really hard one to know to swap uh to swap or not, just because you had you didn't have that much information going. You really only had Brady, Godwin, and Jefferson. But then you also took the snowflake from the Jets. That would have been a tough one for me to decide whether or not to swap on. I probably wouldn't have had all three of these guys. Um, but yeah, I, I realize that it is also hard to swap when you nail that Brady, Godwin, Jefferson. I mean, you got what, over 100 points from those three guys there. So nice lineup from uh, J-Bone 733 there. Who else wanted me to look at their lineups? I'll look at a few here if there was anyone else in the chat that wanted to have their lineups looked at. Let's see what happened here in second place. Ooh, wow. A Big Ben lineup? This had to have been a swap, right? Wait, this is interesting because nailed Jefferson and Godwin early. I'm guessing this lineup, they just let it ride. Because I don't see how you build. You probably didn't build this lineup 
or I'm, I I can't imagine you built it with another QB and then pivoted to Roethlisberger after hitting Jefferson and Godwin. That's wild. Oh, here you are. Second place in the best in the best tourney on DraftKings. I was inspired by Leone's dusty big bed play last week. I love it. I mean, at 5,000, when you're stacking with Deontay Johnson, and it's basically like, you know, if you're going to win a tournament, you're going to finish top two, you're going to need Deontay Johnson to go off. If Deontay Johnson goes off, Big Ben is likely going to be serviceable. A lot of chalkitis this week. A lot of chalkitis. T-Tid, is it plus EV to just pick the cheapest DST on most slates? No, I, I think you have to be, I think you have to be a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, first of all, my even more so than price, ownership is the most important thing that I'm looking at for defense. This week, there was actually a ton of good op- options for defense because so much of the field was playing the Dolphins at 3,300. I think in my lineups, I had uh, lots of Steelers. I had Raiders. I had 49ers. I had Washington football team. I had Jets because none of those were projecting for over, you know, five, six percentage points of ownership. But I don't think you can just blindly be like, I'm going to play the Jags, you know, at 2,300. I don't think that would would be smart. I would say if you were blindly choosing between playing the most expensive D and the most and the cheapest D, then definitely play the cheapest. But I think you want to look at the ownership, look at the ceiling. I like cross-referencing, seeing um, you know, which teams uh are popping in Brandon Thorne's O-line D-line. Like the Steelers look good to me. They had a D-line mismatch. They're at 2900. They were projected under 5. They were showing a positive leverage in the Sims uh as well. So when they check a lot of boxes like that for me is when I normally start to feel comfortable. MNEF confirms no swap on that. Nice team. Nice team. Can I look at your 99th place lineup? Sure. Jay Chang here with a Stafford Sony Cup Jefferson. I love this. We were Someone asked about this kind of construction, I think, on yesterday's show in the morning. And I do think this is the perfect size contest to roll out uh, an onslaught like this for a team with a big implied team total. And this style lineup um, where you're you're basically making two concentrated bets on teams with really big implied team totals in the Rams and the Bucks. So you have Evans and Gronk. You have Stafford, Michelle, Cup, and Van Jefferson. Oh, and even Bucks D. And you're just basically making two bets. Um, I think from that perspective, um, it makes uh, it makes sense to me. But oh no, do you guys know what I just realized? Gronk in the flex and not Morel. Uh oh, a fatal flaw. There will forever be an asterisk next to your 99th place finish here. I will say, um, though. In a vacuum, check out the podcast feed. This lineup, I think, like structurally is okay, but knowing the order that we got this information, I'm a little less keen on it, right? Because 
I guess Evans, 16.9. Gronk, 21.8. Bucks D, 11. I think you you still missed out on some of the big ceiling performances that I think I would have been trying to look for more ceiling in my lineup. Whereas the Stafford, Michelle, Cup, Van Jefferson, you're really asking for a lot because look, you you got it. You basically got what you paid for with these guys. Like Van Jefferson pays off, Sony Michelle pays off, Stafford's fine, Cup is fine at that price tag. Like you got what you needed and it still wasn't enough. And I think in this case, you need to be hitting I think more ceiling, just knowing like, hey, every time Cup scores a touchdown, that's another point that Van Jefferson can't score. So I think structurally where you were at in the contest heading into the late slate, I wouldn't have onslaughted it. I'd be more interesting or more interested in doing that onslaught early and then getting that information and then knowing that uh, what you need to do late. But I don't love going to it when you were kind of middling and then you basically... Rams put up 37, you didn't get there. You basically need them to put up 50 to to even um, have a chance at first at that point, just with how big the scores were yesterday. On another slate where it's not so high scoring and you identify the one game, the one team that scores 35 plus points, I think this can work. But knowing what we know from the early slate, I, I would have tried to pick off some other pieces in other games to try to get a ceiling there. Every all the all the teams that I've seen that one had stacks. Um I I don't know what which lineups you're referencing. I haven't seen I haven't seen any winners that didn't have uh at least some kind of stack in it. Maybe you're talking about you know, not having the bringbacks, which has definitely been uh, a smart strategy for for some of these lopsided games. Swaggy P, late swap from Cut Moreau and Sony to Deontay Johnson Kittle. Sony to take small GPP of thirty five people for a thousand bucks. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Um, you went you late swap Sony to Sony though. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Cup Moreau to De- Deontay Johnson Kittle is that's the perfect example of what we were talking about earlier, where obviously Cup has the ceiling, but Moreau and him are both going to be chalky. And so you need to middle it and get two guys that are going to be less popular in the mid salary range that have ceilings. You hit that with Johnson and Kittle. Well done. See, most winners yesterday had less correlation across the board. Yeah, and I think that's a dynamic that plays out on high-scoring slates, right? Because there are so many top performers from individual games that it becomes a slate where you're having to kind of correctly handpick those spots. Oh, let me grab a little Justin Jefferson here. Let me grab a little Deontay Johnson here. Let me grab a little Godwin here. Versus, you know, on the super low-scoring slates, if you identify the one game that pops off, you're cooking. So yeah, I think that's just like a slate a slate dynamic thing. But it, it's certainly much easier to win the low-scoring slates than it is the high-scoring slates. 
do you ever do single slates, not just the main like slate four games? I don't. Um, I think it'd be fun. I I'm so my bandwidth is uh is just so overextended, and I enjoy getting ready. I play some showdown on Sunday nights. Um, and I don't think I I really do use like the three to four p.m. hour to be thinking through all of my late swaps and and really making sure that I'm making the best decisions. And it's a kind of a hectic um, thing, right? Because you have new information coming in. You're like, all right, I think I should do this swap now, but if Jamar Chase catches a 60-yard touchdown, then I probably shouldn't do this swap because then I'm fine, you know? So I like to keep that time open to just have my whatever mental bandwidth I have to kind of process those late swap decisions. So um, I haven't been playing the late slate. Uh, because I just don't think I would be able to handle late swaps and late slit late slate uh as well as I should. But late slate slim fun. Some people are really good at them. I'm one of those guys that has never won on Thanksgiving. I don't know if I'm a I'm not a short slate king. Yes, if you lost all your money yesterday, you played really well. But I will say, jokes aside, you know, I this is why I do like playing in different size contests, right? Because I ran out uh, some chalkier stuff in my super small contests in the 757 and the 200 person. And those I did decent in and I bricked the large field stuff. So um, I guess we can add the caveat, Drew. If, <laughs> if, you did, if you did well in large field stuff, you were a slappy. If you did well in, in super small field stuff, then then you're you're good. Um, all right, guys. I uh I appreciate you uh hanging out with me this morning as I battle through this cold. Um I will do a showdown cram tonight. We got uh Bills and Patriots. I'll be excited to see what is popping in the Sims. I will be back with Spags at 2 30 today for splash play um i think that's it hop in the deposit kingdom discord if you guys aren't there you can get access to the run the sims channel by either becoming a run the sims member or by becoming a youtube member if you have questions about that let me know i can help you get squared away i think that's it guys i think that's it hope you have a lovely monday appreciate you guys hanging out talking it through with me as we all try to get better week after week. Crazy. We only have 14, 15, 16, 17, basically four more real main slates this year. Then we get cash game week, week 18, and then the playoffs. So the season is slipping through our hand like sand in an hourglass. We'll see you guys later today.